how can you judge a Polish 18-year-old kid whose grandmother was a survivor, then the grandmother tells her daughter, you're Jewish, but you can't tell anybody. Then the 18-year-old kid is doing a history assignment and looking into his family history and sees a Jewish last name on his grandmother and confronts the mother and she won't say anything and then finds out from the genealogist at the Jewish Historical Institute that, yeah, your grandmother, she was Jewish. She picked up matzah after the war, right? Mm -hmm. How can you judge that person for where they are? We have to have that same non-judgmental attitude towards every single person that we account to the United States because everybody has, while they don't necessarily have that incredible story of being the of finding out they're Jewish at 18, in a lot of ways, that is the scenario that we have is people by no fault of their own, just because of the situation that has arisen in the United States for the Jewish community, they are a Jew with, with no connections. And that's not their fault. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. The Orthodox world has often stressed the importance of kiruv, that is, working to help non-Orthodox Jews become Torah-observant. But Rabbi Yonah Buchstein, the rabbi of the Pico Shul in Los Angeles and a close friend of mine, wants to make a distinction between kiruv and outreach. He personally stresses the latter in his important work with Jews across the spectrum of religiosity. What does that mean? How can we avoid being judgmental when we believe that Torah Judaism represents the proper way to actualize Judaism in our lives? What is defined as successful outreach, if the terms success and failure are appropriate at all? I spoke to Rav Yona about these subjects and much more, and we'll get to this entertaining interview in just a minute. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum page on Facebook and join and participate in The Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. We have some fantastic discussions there, so check it out today. I'd also like to ask you to become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, JCH merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. It's just a few dollars a month, and you can cancel at any time. We're looking forward to your joining the Jewish Coffeehouse team. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to reach hundreds or even thousands of listeners? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or record and relax and let us do the heavy lifting, JCH Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let us help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jchpodcast.com, that's jchpodcast.com, to learn more and to sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage your audience today. Rabbi Yona Buchstein is the rabbi of Pico Shul in Los Angeles, the founder and director of Shabbat Tent, and has been involved with his wife Rachel in many outreach activities over the past 25 years. Today's podcast is the first half of a two-part interview with Raviona. 
I'll soon release the second half of our interview, where he talks about his experiences in reaching Jews through Shabbat Tent at music festivals across the country, how music festivals can be compared to the Jewish people in the desert as seen from Bilam's viewpoint, yes, really, and what music festivals have in common with Matan Torah, yes, really, again. That's all in part two. But today, enjoy the first half of our conversation, which also alludes to some of our adventures together before he moved to Los Angeles and I moved to Israel. It is such a pleasure to welcome you, Rabbi Yona Bookstein, my good friend to the Orthodox Conundrum podcast. Thank you so much. It is fantastic to join you. Yona, I see you once every four years, maybe. I don't know how often at this point in our lives. It doesn't change the fact, and I mean this truthfully, I consider you an extremely close friend, someone who means so much to me, and that's why it's an extra special pleasure to really talk to you today. I'll even tell you something else. I'll tell our listeners this as well. When I turned 50 years old, it was about a year ago, I was feeling not great. So I sent you a message right that night saying, you know something, because <laughs> I knew that Yona was the person right. I needed to talk to. That's how I feel about you. <laughs> oh, well, the feelings are mutual and we go way back. You sure do. And while while we don't have the opportunity to, to, to hang out in each other's uh, Shabbos tables or anything like that at the moment, my fondness and admiration for you uh, transcend time and space. <laughs> and... Uh, and please, God, we'll all be together very soon in Yerushalayim. That's right. Uh, I'm coming to Eretz Yisrael. And uh, maybe, you know, when I get there, there'll be a sign, you know, that Mashiach is here. And, and then I'll just stay. Bring the family over. All right. Let's jump into our topic today. We're going to be talking about the future of outreach. My opening question is, I think of Kiruv outreach as being the same thing. Are they the same thing? When you talk about Kiruv and outreach, are they synonymous? I think for many people, they are synonymous, but I actually want to distinguish between Kiruv and outreach. Some might think this is a semantic debate. Uh, I don't think so at all. And, and let me tell you why. Please. The Kiruv movement is about making religious Jews. Rabbi Avram Edelstein, who's one of the founders of many successful endeavors in, in the Kiruv movement, says uh, there are three a gedolim of Kiruv, and there, and here are their philosophies. Rav Noach Weinberg was cast a wide net, prevent intermarriage, which really meant getting people to yeshiva and getting them to be observant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rabbi uh, Mendel Weinbach encouraged maximum growth in yechidim, so that means that everybody who's engaged in Kiruv should put all their energies into a few people and get them to the highest level of religious observance they can get them. Okay. And uh, Yaakov Weinberg, he also brought forward that if somebody didn't become from through your work, you've achieved nothing. And that's important to bring that out because that is what the Kiruv movement today is uh, is about. And it has, um, you know, quote unquote, successes and failures. And I I really don't even like using those words um, because it's so subjective and, and our time frame is so limited. Uh, as, as you know, we're, we deal with people for a few minutes, a few hours, a few years. We don't, nobody has access to the whole book of life except Hashem. Uh, but I have always saw my work as being involved in outreach. Yeah. What does that mean then? So I, I think Scott, what outreach, it can best be described as something that uh, a Kiruv worker might be engaged in outreach, but outreach is a generic term. For somebody who's reaching out to other peoples with other people with a message. And what that message is, is heavily dependent on what 
their, the group or that person is about. I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm working with homeless people in Los Angeles and I wanna get them more mental health support, one of the main causes of, of homelessness here. So I will do outreach to let them know about what is offered and why those mental health supports are beneficial. Right? If I'm a politician, I have a message and I'm gonna, if, if I just sit at home, nobody's gonna know about me. I gotta get out to the world uh, any way possible to get out my message. And I'll point out that uh, interestingly, Chabad uh, and my dear friend, Rabbi Freeman says that Chabad doesn't do outreach, but I think that that's semantic debate uh, that is I think Chabad doesn't do. Yes, I think Chabad doesn't do Kiruv, right? Chabad doesn't do Kiruv, but they do do outreach. And I think they're probably the most successful outreach organization worldwide. So I'm still a little bit confused, though. So what does that mean for Jews? When you're talking about outreach to other Jews, how is that different from Kiruv? Kiruv is about getting to an unobservant Jew with a message which says you're not actualized in being a Jew until you are Shomer Shabbat and keep, you know, keep Kashrut. And by the way, since you're in Israel, I just kind of defaulted to uh, these Israeli uh, pronunciations. My <laughs> listeners understand both. They're very, very bright. So you can go either way. No problem. Okay. So, right. The, the Kiruv person is trying to get the person to be Shomer Torah Mitzvos. That's their goal. And anything less than that is a it's a failure, right? In it's, their minds. It's, it's, a, it's a failure. And that's the, the absolute goal is to get that person, quote unquote, from. Uh, outreach is a, a very different thing. Outreach is something different. Outreach is reaching people with a message. And my work through the last, wow, 25 years, more than that, <laughs> is about reaching out to Jews with a message with inspiration and with connections. And I think we should really think about what the goals are. And that's a great way to distinguish these two phenomenon. Okay. Based on what you said right now, it sounds at least in part that when you speak about outreach, the terms success and failure are certainly much more malleable, maybe inappropriate altogether. Unlike in Kiruv, where there's a very specific goal, if they're not a from Jew, then it's a failure. If the guy is from, presumably, it's a success. Outreach sounds much broader and probably wouldn't even use those terms in general. It's something else. Is that right? I would say that in outreach, the quote-unquote success or failure is a, is a very different uh, scenario. Let me share another idea. If we say that the goal of Kiruv is to make Jews religious, so what's the goal of outreach? So I believe that the goal of outreach is for every Jew to have a connection with God, to feel proud about being a Jew, to have a deeper connection with the Jewish people and by extension with Israel. And so there are various levels of messaging that goes with that, but it really hinges upon this idea that Every Jew inside, every Jew inside has within them an intrinsic connection, what they call the Pintalayid. Every Jew is connected. There's no such thing as a Jew who's not connected. The question is, is how developed is that inner connection? Sometimes because of life's trajectory, things that have happened to us, or the circumstances of our birth, that 
Pintaliid was never given the chance to grow, but it's it's always been there. And that's a real big philosophical, I believe, distinction. And therefore that that changes how we do things. And it has a lot of other down the road, a lot of other impact. So let me ask you about something which I thought about years ago. I used to have yeshiva called Yesodia Torah, and I used to joke around with people, and it was only a joke in the sense that I was ever going to do it, but it was actually serious in terms of the conception. I used to think about what would happen if we decided to open a bunch of Yesodia houses. Think Chabad houses, but Yesodia houses. And the goal wouldn't be to, quote unquote, make people from. The goal would be for people to come in and sit down and learn for an hour, if that person decided to become Shomer Shabbat or Shomer Kashrut, that's great, wonderful. But if he were to ask me, that person sitting in the Yisode house, the person who's not religious, what my goal is for him, I would say, my goal for you is that for the next hour, we can learn Torah together. And if someone were to ask me, well, what's the long-term goal? That's not really even relevant to what I'm talking about. A Jew just learned Torah for an hour when he wouldn't have done so otherwise. Why does it have to always lead to everything, an all-or-nothing scenario. So in your definitions, that would be a kind of outreach, I would assume, or maybe it wouldn't even be outreach. I'm not quite sure. What do you think of that? That absolutely would be outreach. I believe that some of the emphasis on quote-unquote success, did you make somebody observant, is not so much driven by the Rabbanim, uh, but maybe driven by the culture that we live in, uh, which is all about metrics, and, and therefore, how can you say that your investment is having a good return if you can't show good numbers? Yeah. And so, unfortunately, I believe that this might be influencing. I don't think any of the three holy rabbis I mentioned before would ever say, oh, wow, Scott, you sat down for an hour and learned Torah. That was a failure <laughs> because the person didn't, the person didn't quit their job as a, uh, um, as a cabaret singer <laughs> and, uh, and put on a tefillin uh, for the rest of their life, right? right? I don't think they would ever say that. In fact, Jonah, I can confirm what you're saying with a caveat. It's not even necessarily the culture alone. I once spoke with someone who was one of the leaders of a well-known cure of organization. He confirmed what you just said. He said, it's all about the metrics nowadays. We live in a world where it's all about the numbers, but it's coming from the donors. People who are serious donors, I don't mean every donor, obviously, but in his scenario. He said his donors want to know, okay, tell me how many people became religious. Tell me how many numbers you have, how many guys now are coming to synagogue services on Shabbos. And if you can't provide those numbers, they're not going to get the money. So it's not just a cultural thing. It's also a very practical financial incentive to be able to say, I made the following number of people religious. Well, of course, if that's the case, Scott, then we have another problem, right? Which is that somebody who's involved in the effort to get a Jew closer to Torah and mitzvahs, is davar in a significant way that uh, their parnasa depends on this person's level of observance, and you know it's it's going to create must create a lot of a lot of challenges for people who are being evaluated, engaged in that way. I can only imagine that they must have a lot of uh, cognitive dissonance because I'm sure they would feel that that hour they spent learning with that cabaret singer that you know, we just made up, uh, <laughs> that that was time well spent. But uh, if they're being evaluated based on, did that person then, right, drop their career and become a kolel bucher uh, or a younger man in a kolel, right? 
uh, yeah, there's a cognitive dissonance there because everything about what that hour of Torah represents is is the most authentic expression of Judaism possible and Ahavas Yisrael on the highest level. And for that to not count, quote unquote, towards the successful fulfillment of their job would be very painful, I'm sure, or challenging. It seems to me that I mentioned before all or nothing, and that is a common problem. I think a lot of people think of things in terms of all or nothing, and even forgetting Kiruv per se, the entire idea of, well, if he's not totally from, then it's like he didn't do anything at all. I don't even mean in terms of the success or failure of the professional, but where we want to get somebody, by looking at it as a goal, at the end of the street, that is the place you must reach or else somehow you haven't done everything you could have done. Nobody is all the way there, at least not until 120 years. Everybody is on a path. And the question is, can you help somebody enjoy that path and gain a connection to Am Yisrael, to Torah Yisrael, to Hashem, to Eretz Yisrael, whatever it is that you're trying to do outreach on? I think the all or nothing way of thinking is really problematic for myself. Uh, it's problematic. And I'm sure as uh, two rabbis uh, here, you and I could come up with lots of uh, examples from, from Halacha and Gemara that could prove Either way, in other words, we could probably prove if we wanted to that all or nothing is halacha, but we also could very easily prove that all or nothing, all or nothing is not halacha. Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely. Raviona, I want to ask you now about your personal experiences in outreach. I know you're the director now of the Pico Shul, and I want to hear about what you're doing there. I want to hear about some of your adventures in outreach. So maybe after that, we'll talk a little bit about bad Kiruv and good Kiruv, or bad outreach and good outreach, and where outreach can and should go in the future. So if that's the direction we're going to go, can we open up with a little bit of your background and your experience as the head of the Pico Shul? My wife, Rachel, and I started the Pico Shul here in Los Angeles uh, just over uh, eight years ago. And it was the culmination of 25 years uh, working in Jewish communal work. And that's including the time we've done it together. Of course, when you and I met uh, in Oxford, it was before I was married, but I was already involved in, in these kind of endeavors. But, yep. but I'll, I'll start my professional. We'll start the clock at the professional life. You know, we were. You don't want to talk um, about making Kiddush on Friday night on a full Kiddush cup of vodka together. Is that we're not going to go there today? Oh, uh, that was <laughs> that was uh, something everybody should try once. <laughs> yes. um, and I got to witness it. <laughs> and, 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 and never again. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, in full disclosure, I've I've told my wife about that story <laughs> and my children so that they will learn from the errors of their father. Um, as, as a rebbe of mine always says, you know, I don't want you to make the mistakes that I made. <laughs> that's right, exactly. Um, you know, we I, we feel very fortunate. You know, we were I had started to get involved in the effort to help. Uh, Polish Jewry after the fall of communism, starting in 1991, with the effort to reach people of Jewish descent and and, and help them with their Jewish journey. Uh, and that culminated, you know, with me, and I lived in Poland, 93, 94, as a Fulbright fellow, ostensibly studying the Jewish community in post-communist, uh, post-Holocaust Jewish life. But I spent most of my time when I wasn't doing my research trying to organize programs and classes for young Jews in Krakow and other places, and then working very closely with the Ronald Lauder Foundation. And eventually, you know, after Rachel and I got married 
and had a couple of amazing years in Eretz Israel, we moved full-time to Poland. And the goal was community building and helping those who wanted to identify with their Jewish roots uh, to be able to explore that uh, to whatever extent. Some of those people, you know, just came to a program uh, and that was it. We never saw them again. And of course, some of those people, uh, especially if they were younger, the fact that they were a Jew now became so important to them and answered so many questions about why their life had kind of gone the way it had gone, that they felt they could only actualize that Jewishness by leaving Poland and going to a bigger Jewish community, whether religious or not, just, mm-hmm. you know, connect themselves because because Poland was so small when Rachel and I were there, you know, uh, there was no uh, uh, Shomer. I know that people like to make this distinction, Shomer Shabbos Minion or not. There was no such thing, right? We dobbined with uh, lots of elderly Holocaust survivors and some of the young people who are coming out of the woodwork. But it was an incredible opportunity to be part of that time in the 1990s. And Rav Chasko Besser, Zichon Tzadik Livrocha, who became my my spiritual guide, uh, offered me incredible inspiration and and direction. And how do you work with people of this type? And, And it was very formative for how we eventually handled working in outreach in the United States. And I'll, I'll explain, right? In Poland, assimilation was 100%, right? There was no such thing with maybe one or two exceptions of any Jew who married a Jew after the war. It just would happen, you know, very, very, very rarely. So every family was intermarried. There was no Jewish education. There were no summer camps. There were no day schools. There were no youth movements. There was no bris mila. None of the, everything was all forbidden. The only thing that was permitted was uh, this sanitized Yiddish secular culture uh, that all started changing uh, the ni- around 1979, 1980. Uh, then martial law came and it went underground again. So finally, after communism, this stuff could come forward. So our time there in Poland, helping people in this post-assimilation world was incredibly helpful when we came to the United States because we realized that Poland was very much a sandbox for effective programming and methodology that we could then use when we came to California. Why was it such a good uh, sandbox for that? So California, you know, has an over 70% intermarriage rate and the Jewish community is highly assimilated. Our first task was on campus. Uh, my wife and I worked as the Hillel director, my wife and the Hillel rabbi, myself at Long Beach State. And then I also worked on other campuses, UC Irvine and so forth. And the situation was that many of the students came from homes with with one Jewish parent. We also had very few people who had any formal Jewish education. And if they did, nothing was post uh, bar mitzvah. It was just the time when you know, birthright was really uh, getting going and sending people to Israel, but there was no follow-up uh, regime uh, in place for what to do with these people who came back. And so we set about saying, what can we do to help this situation? High levels of anti-Israel sentiment on campus, high levels of intermarriage, low levels of Jewish knowledge. And so we set about creating a series of programs one of them was the Julicious Festival. Are you the creator of Julicious? So, uh, a co-creator. Mm-hmm. Um, my my dear friend David Abitbal in Jerusalem, 
founded the blog Julicious, and soon thereafter we uh, began collaborating on uh, festivals uh-huh. and with a similar idea, which is that um, we want to increase Jewish connections with other Jews in a, a completely non-judgmental environment uh, and outside of the Hillel house or the Chabad house or the anything totally in a new environment. What does non-judgmental mean to you, though? What, what does that mean? You're trying to increase their Jewish connection, but you're not judging them. Can you define what you mean? That's the essence of success in outreach is non-judgment. If I'm going to say I'm a better person than you because of who I am, that other Jew, if they have a healthy identity, should be very weary of you. I'm better than you. Why? Oh, because I, you know, I wrapped filling in the morning. Did you? you know, what, what's what, the, So you have to be enormously sensitive to people, where they are, where they're coming from, their background. And that's why I say Poland was such a great place to, to start this, because you know, how can you judge a Polish 18-year-old kid whose grandmother was a survivor, then the grandmother tells her daughter, you're Jewish, but you can't tell anybody. Then the 18-year-old kid is doing a history assignment and looking into his family history and sees a Jewish last name on his grandmother and confronts the mother and she won't say anything and then finds out from the genealogist at the Jewish Historical Institute that, yeah, your grandmother, she was Jewish. She picked up matzah after the war, right? Mm -hmm. How can you judge that person for where they are? We have to have that same non-judgmental attitude towards every single person that we encounter in the United States because everybody has, while they don't necessarily have that incredible story of being the of finding out they're Jewish at 18, in a lot of ways, that is the scenario that we have, is people by no fault of their own, just because of the situation that has arisen in the United States for the Jewish community, they are a Jew with, with no connections. And that's not their fault. I want to get back to your story in just a minute, but that is so important to me, what you just said, because the condescension that's implicit in so much of what we think of as Kiruv work, it's such a problem in my own mind, not only as a tactical issue, but as a moral issue. If a person is going to be condescending, obviously the Kiruv is in all likelihood not going to be successful, but that's a tactical issue. As a moral issue, the idea that we can start judging other people's practice as he's not as good as I am, perhaps I'm overstating the case and people really aren't like that, but I fear that there's too much condescension in Kiruv. That's why I think it's so important, this concept of being non-judgmental, why it really speaks to me. You know, I'm, I'm not a Lubavitcher. Uh, we're, you know, we're all and happily fine, mistaken for Lubavitchers because of, Nothing know, wrong I, with I that. have a beard and we, and right, and we do outreach. Um, but I will say that the Lubavitch Rebbe did say it well, and, and Shlomo Karlbach and, and others have said it, but I believe it origins with uh, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, al that who's to say you're close and he's far? Right. Right. That was famously, he wrote that in a letter to one of his uh, followers who had written about uh, his work and, and he chastised him. Who's to say, you know, that guy's far and you're close? Who, who's to say? You know, that also appears in the Geretz Ramban, the famous letter of the Ramban, where he tells his son, 
in every person you meet, you can find one way that he's probably better than you. And if you can't, you know what? You know it. So therefore, you're doing it on purpose and he's doing it by mistake. So everyone can be seen as having some element where you can't judge him and you can't see yourself as being greater. And back to Perkyavos, we have the same thing. On this line, I want to uh, uh, share another issue that, uh, you know, my one of the challenges that Rachel and I have always had has never been the ability, thank God, to relate to people, to provide programs and meaningful engagement. We thank God, we've been very, very fortunate. Uh, and Pico Shul, just getting back to that for a moment, yeah. that was the idea that after working with young professionals in Los Angeles for a bunch of years, we realized that there was no spiritual home for young professionals. And so we created this, we called it a Pico Shul, but it never was a shul in the classic way. Like we never had, you know, a, a fully developed children's, uh, you know, uh, programming. We never charged, you know, $1,200 a year membership to get into the high holidays. All the classical, you know, uh, ways of looking at a shul. But we call it Pico Shul because we wanted people to know that this was a spiritual home. Mm -hmm. And thank God it, it proved extremely successful with free Shabbat lunches every week. It attracted, it attracted people of all backgrounds. Uh, half, with, with, we would say, had, had no background, uh, and half had some background. Either they grew up modern Orthodox, or maybe they grew up very Orthodox and then had left it, or, or were kind of on the road somewhere. And as successful as that was, and by the way, Drulicious, we had problems from both sides. You know, the Kiruv movement wouldn't give us any money because they said, you're not doing Kiruv. <laughs> <laughs> which they were right. We were not trying to make people from. Right. That was not the goal of Julicious. The Hillels wouldn't support it because they said, you're a Kiruv group disguised as a, <laughs> a music festival. <laughs> you know, I'm not really, really. That, you know, so we made this music festival for Jews. Uh, we had we had almost a thousand people at the height of the, the program. Uh, but Jews you don't fit into the boxes. You don't fit into the boxes that they want you to fit into. That's right. So the, the Kiruv groups would not uh, give us any money. The Hillels wouldn't give us any money, be, uh, with a few exceptions. I'm not, I'm generalizing. The, the, the Hillel professionals who knew us knew that this was, we were not a wolf in sheep's clothing, whatever the terminology is. But, you know, when we, we knew that this also might be an issue with Picoshul, you know, the same thing. But by this time, thank God, you know, we've, we have connected with supporters who understand what needs to happen, which is that, and maybe this we're already, I'm getting ahead of myself, right? But we need to approach the situation very realistically and in, a, and in as Jewish a way as possible, which is that every single thing that we do with another Jew is a positive step. And every any Jew who feels uh, better about being a Jew after their interaction with me or my program or something I've written or something that I've done that that is a 1,000% success. And so while the, the mainstream might have different ways of looking at it, that is what is going to succeed in the long run. Thank you for joining me today, and look for the second part of my conversation with Raviona later this week. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, we'll talk about his experiences in reaching Jews through Shabbat Tent at music festivals across the United States, why music festivals are one of the premier venues for outreach, and more. And of course, with Yona, we'll share some great stories. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. 
please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamanides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like the Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, the Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in Orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers. And you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.